Divine Truth Frequently Asked Question Session. Jesus, Mary and others provide answers to questions that are frequently asked by members of the media and public. This presentation is part of the Bible and Bible Quotation series. Mary asked Jesus to give his general opinion about the Bible and to discuss the truth and error contained within the specific Bible text. Recorded on the 21st of January 2013 in Wilsdale, Queensland, Australia. This is Session 1, Part 1. Are you banking on your followers being biblically illiterate? <laughs> I had to smile at this question, hey. Um, obviously, a lot of sarcasm comes through with uh, a lot of the questions we receive, and particularly questions that we receive from Christians. There seems to be quite a lot of sarcasm present in the questions. Am I banking on my followers being biblically illiterate? Well, the first thing I'd probably like to do is uh, discuss the issue of sarcasm in questioning. According to the Bible, and maybe if I could use the Bible as some quotations, the person here is talking about being biblically literate. And obviously the person has a feeling that they are biblically literate themselves, and, uh, and therefore they feel that biblical literacy is very, very important in anything that's being presented. Of course, I say quite frankly and openly and honestly in all of our seminars that we don't agree with the Bible being God's word. And so there is really no need for a person to be biblically literate in order to understand the different things that we are presenting to them. There was also no need in the first century for anybody to be biblically literate to understand what I was teaching them in the first century. And that's the case in both centuries. The, the need for literacy with the common word of the day that was agreed to be God's word is, is not important in understanding divine truth, and it's, not in, and it's definitely not important when it comes to demonstrating love. But if we can just maybe go through some Bible verses talking about this particular attitude of sarcasm, and then I'm happy to answer the question more fully. So let's look firstly at uh, the Jesus of the Bible and his words as recorded in Matthew 22. And the verses I'm looking for here were the verses where he was asked the question, what is the great, greatest commandment? And in 22 verses 37 to 39, he gave this answer. He said, love the Lord your God with, your, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second, like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So, so the primary commandments of all of what has been written before Jesus came onto the earth in the first century, and I, it's very hard for me to talk about Jesus in the third person for the sake of people because it was me who was saying all of these things. Um, but when I was on in, in the first century, I could see the primary commandment that was required was to love, and love would be the guiding force of everything. And then there's another verse, if we look over in Matthew chapter 7, there's another verse that says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So what I was saying there was that this, this point of ethics. The point of ethics is don't do to other people what you would not like to have done to you. Now, this person here is being sarcastic with me. I'm pretty sure this person probably would not like to have people being sarcastic with them. So they have already broken that particular principle. So although they are biblically literate, they have already broken the principle that they say they are literate about. So just because a person has biblical literacy, it doesn't mean that they love. 
And it doesn't mean that they have any idea what love actually is, nor have any idea of what ethical treatment of another person is. Mm -hmm. Literacy doesn't guarantee understanding at the heart level. In the first century, there are, there are many people that I spoke to, obviously, and I spoke to Pharisees quite frequently. Many of the Pharisees had exactly the same attitude. They would come to me ask, asking sarcastic questions, demonstrating the, their lack of literacy when it came to understanding. So that they understood from an intellectual perspective. They were literate. They were well-educated. They, they knew what the Bible at that time, let's call it the Torah, which, which was the main thing that they understood, but also many of the prophets they had read. They read it as a point of holiness. They didn't read it for personal application. They read it for a point of holiness, a, a proof of their own holiness or worth. And as a result of that, they would read this material and then they would then they would try to, of course, force the people to follow the material, even when they personally did not follow it themselves. Mm-hmm. And and their their literacy did not guarantee their honesty. It did not guarantee their truthfulness. It did not guarantee their love. It actually, in many cases, uh, assisted them to have a poor character because they uh, felt uh, you know, more important than others, that, that they had more worth than others. And as a result of that, they were very unloving people at the time. And this is what I find with many Christians who send me abusive emails, is that they can be very unloving while at the same time quoting a whole heap of Bible verses to me. Now, I don't feel inclined generally to answer a lot of these questions, Mm -hmm. but I am going to point out to people their unloving behaviour. And I feel this is why it's very important for me to first focus with the answer of this question on the unloving behaviour. There's another scripture in 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 20, which talks about love, and it says, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Mm. Now, when I look at that verse, I go, okay, here's a person who's demonstrably asking a question, demonstrably not really asking a question, but making a sarcastic statement, they have no love for me at all. They're in fact, quite a lot of hatred and anger directed towards me in the question, uh, which is a demonstration that they do not practice those three verses that I've just read out. So even though they may be biblically literate, it hasn't helped them to come to a proper understanding of the truth. It hasn't helped them become more loving. It hasn't helped them in any way, really. And in fact, according to their Jesus' words, they're not even following their Jesus the Jesus of the first century that they say they believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, those words are words that I did state, and uh, they're definitely not following the teachings that I gave them in the first century, let alone anything that I, I might teach now. So my suggestion to such people is stop asking sarcastic questions. Start looking at your sarcasm as a problem, as an issue of love or a lack of love, and start addressing the particular problems that you have with a lack of love. It's the lack of love that will determine how well your life will be lived on earth and how well you'll be received into the spirit world. Mm. If it is not what you know about the Bible that will help you. I have seen many people on earth who know lots and lots about the Bible. All through the dark ages, there were many murderers who were priests who knew everything about the Bible. And yet their lack of love demonstrated towards others was so blatantly obvious And by the time they passed, they were in such a dark condition, they're still in the hells today as a result of their dark condition and their actions. Being biblically literate 
didn't help them at all. But let's get to the question. Mm -hmm. The question is, do I expect my followers to be biblically illiterate? <laughs> now, no, I don't. I, in fact, I would prefer that any person who comes along to a seminar, and I don't feel that any person who comes along to a seminar is my follower, by the way. And in fact, I don't feel I have many followers at all at this point. And if people were copying my life and my lifestyle, at this point, I have not yet met another person on earth who's copying my life and my lifestyle. So I can't say honestly that there is anybody who is one, a person who is following me. Mm -hmm. There are many people who are try, trying or attempting to follow the teachings that we present in our seminars. And um, my feelings are that uh, I would love them all to be very biblically illiterate and very literate when it comes to the Koran and very literate when it came to any writings, scientific and religious on the planet. Because in, in that regard, you can understand where everybody around you is coming from. You can understand why they have the particular feelings they have, the particular emotions they have, what is driving their misunderstandings or, or, or their disbelief. And all these other things can be determined through understanding where, the, where a person is coming from. So I feel it's very, very important to actually understand where a person is coming from. And given that 1.4 billion people on the planet are Christian, it would, it would be very good if you cared about people that you would read up about on the Bible and find out about the Bible and look at, into the Bible, as I've done for 20 years in this life and for a lot of my years of 2,000 years mm -hmm. of life. It's very good for you to examine the Bible care, carefully and clearly because if you do, you'll have a very good way in which you can help other people but also understand them. Now... The fact that there is 33,000 Christian sects on this planet is an indication that every single Christian has a tendency to, to interpret the Bible in a different way. And my suggestion is, is that God is a clear being very, with very clear laws. And if, if a book can have 33,000 different types of people, of, of people and analysing it differently... Hmm and formulating a diff different religions as a basis of that analysis, then obviously it's not very clear book. And so my suggestion to people is examine it, but, but don't necessarily believe everything it says, because if, if it can create 33,000 different sects, there's got to be something wrong. Yeah, and I suppose uh, what I feel underlying in this question is the implication that you are banking on pe people uh, not understanding the Bible so that you can in some way I exploit their ignorance by... Um, by claiming that I'm Jesus and their ignorance about, you know, the Bible, what the Bible says about Jesus, And that the way you live and what you teach is actually not, uh, doesn't marry with what the Bible says yeah. you should be. And it certainly doesn't. And, <laughs> and I don't make do any claims that, that it does. Yeah. <laughs> there are certain things the Bible contains that I actually did say and that I do agree with. There are certain things the Bible contains that I definitely do not agree with. And, uh, and there are many errors in the Bible contained, added by people who wanted to add the errors. But even some of the errors came from the original writers. You know, they, many of them were not inspired of God as is claimed, but rather were inspired of spirits that they were you know, connecting to and prophesying with. And, uh, and many of these things are not completely accurate. And you cannot, you cannot expect them to be. I knew that in the first century just as much and even more, so I know it now. I have the advantage over many people with regard to examination of the Bible because my own personal life is included in the Bible inaccurately. <laughs> yeah. So therefore I know that it's not God's word. 
And so uh, just to clarify, do you hide this belief from people who attend your seminars and do you discourage them from exploring the Bible? No, uh, I encourage them to explore the Bible, but I do not hide from people that I do not agree that the Bible is God's word. In fact, I, uh, I disagree quite strongly that the Bible is God's word. I do feel, however, a lot of other different things about the Bible, which we'll cover in different questions. But, but uh, And I do have a deep love for the Bible for a lot of reasons. But, but that doesn't mean that I agree with everything it says. And I never did. In the first century, I never agreed with everything it said either. <laughs> and anybody who thinks that I did um, doesn't, isn't honestly looking at the record. For example, in the, in the first century, um, it was co commonly claimed by the people of the day that I should not um, engage with spirits, you know, that I should not have any discussion with spirits. I often talk to spirits in the first century. There's records in the Bible of me talking to high spirits and spirits who are in a dark condition. So I completely ignored that directive that was in, the Levitic in Leviticus, in the Torah, that I had read, uh, because I knew it was written by people who did not understand what was actually going on. And the same applies with many other things I examined in the Bible. I watched my mother in the first century you know, apply the law in her day-to-day -day life when it comes to menstruation and, and after the birth of all of my brothers and sisters. And, you know, in the case of my mother, whenever she had a daughter, she had to have 66 days by herself after the birth of her daughter and because she was following Leviticus to the law. My father was a Pharisee or wanted to become a Pharisee at the time. And so, of course, he wanted her to follow the law as an example to everyone else. And as a result of that, for 66 days, she remained pretty much in isolation in the sense that we couldn't touch her. We couldn't, she couldn't hold her children. She couldn't, everything would become, you know, any, anything that she did would become touched with her uncleanness. And I knew that this was wrong. You know, that this was a, this was a way of ostracizing and removing women from uh, truth and also treating women badly. It was a way of men controlling women and treating women badly. I knew that. So I, I completely ignored that in my own dealings with women. Um, there are many women, and the Bible even records such, of who, who touched me while they were menstruating uh, in order to heal some particular problems that they had, you know, some women problems that they had. And, and so I was perfectly okay with that as well. So I have always ignored unloving texts in holy books my entire life, first century and now. <laughs> so please, anybody who's listening to any of the seminars, don't expect me to uh, quote everything word for word from the Bible without there being some kind of critical analysis. What's your general opinion of the Bible? Well, I suppose my general position on the Bible could be broken into two primary feelings. One feeling is about my personal feelings about the Bible um, in terms of how it's affected my life personally. And the second group of feelings could be um, the feelings that I have about how the Bible has affected many people's lives other than myself. Mm -hmm. And I feel that they're very different opinions are, are based on those two subjects. So let's cover the first. The first is that I feel quite strongly about the Bible. I have quite a, lot, a strong love for the Bible because of the personal things it brought me, particularly in my first century life, the books of the Bible that are now contained within the Bible now, um, I had access to at different times of my life, particularly during my childhood, and sometimes I would visit synagogues regularly throughout my life. And I spent a lot of time studying 
what is now called the Old Testament of the Bible. This is the reason why I could quote pieces of the Old Testament to the, of the Bible to the Pharisees of the day. Mm-hmm. Now, my feelings were was that uh, without the Bible, or without what I, you know, was the Bible in the first century to me, which was the which was the Torah and the holy books and the Psalms and the Proverbs, without those records uh, being available and being copied by copyists. I would not probably have discovered what I did discover about God in terms of God's love and God's truth. I could see in those books there was a once once I removed all of the unlovingness, I suppose you could call it, uh, in all of what I read. I could see that there were times when these particular people who wrote these verses were totally inspired by God. I feel at times, you know, they were just. They, other times they were inspired by very dark and addictive and quite some evil emotions at times as well. But there were times when they were really inspired by God. And during those times, I, when I read those particular passages, I always felt a very strong connection with God. And I knew in that moment that these, this was a truth about God in that moment. So every time I read, for example, about God being a punishing God, you know, being the God of the Israelites who would leave them into the promised land and destroy the wicked people around about, I always felt disconnection from that. So so I never really believed any of that as God's motivation for the Israelite nation. But when I read about how God feels about the individual, how God had this longing to have a connection, you know, to have the heart of people change from a heart of a stone into a heart of a flesh, and all of these other things, I felt a deep passion for God under those circumstances. And I realized, yeah, this is really getting down to the meat of what God was all about. Mm-hmm. And so I started to see through this interaction that God was showing, there were times of inspiration that these people who had written had. And during those times, there was a lot of truth and a lot of love that would come through the material. And then also I started noticing that, that this time of truth and love was so, um, ha- had such a huge effect on me that, that it started me through a process of investigating, experimenting with receiving love from God and, and, and knowing how to receive truth from God. So for that reason, I have a very, very strong love for those particular books of the Bible, and there are some prophetic books that really appealed to me, and there were some of the Psalms and the Proverbs that really appealed to me, and and these particular books I really focused on. They, they were books that I realised were given through the process of prophecy, which is a process where a spirit overcloaks or, or controls a person on earth to write certain things, mm-hmm. and under those circumstances, the spirits were in quite good condition and they were telling the people on earth things that really were quite inspirational. When I read the law, which was written by man mostly, and definitely written by uh, men who were just governors and spirits sometimes who wanted to govern the Israelite nation, I always felt a very, very strong disconnection from God. And therefore I knew that these weren't God's laws, but rather these were man's laws. Mm-hmm. And so I could sell, tell the difference between parts of the so-called word of God that were that were really the word of God in the sense that they were what God felt about certain things and parts of the word of God that weren't the word of God at all but rather just the creations of mankind in order to control and and legalize a system of controls 
for humankind, mm -hmm. the Israelite nation in my case. So that's how I saw the Bible at that time. But I have a deep love for it. Now, in comparison to that, how do I feel about how the Bible affects people now? Well, that, that's very different because I see that most people, when they analyse the Bible, they either do it from one of two different directions. One is they criticise everything in it. Mm -hmm. Or two, they accept everything in it as God's word. There's no middle analysis or very rare to, have, to see in a person this middle road type of analysis that, that I had in the first century and I've had all my life. Mm -hmm. And, and so what I notice people doing is they polarise when it comes to examination of the Bible. Mm -hmm. The people who criticise the Bible and who do not accept anything in it are not accepting quite a lot of things in it that are about love and ethics and truth. And these particular people, I feel, are quite disadvantaged at times because of their dismissal of everything. It's like... The old saying, throwing out the baby with the bathwater. The bathwater's bad, so you throw out the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And this is what I feel a lot of people do with the Bible when it comes to dismissing it completely. And in fact, many people who come along to our seminars have dismissed the Bible completely. And when I start quoting different Bible texts, they get very challenged. Many of them uh, have a deep amount of rage associated with the Bible because they have rage associated with religious control. And so as a result of that, when you start quoting the Bible, they get all you know, stressed out that you're creating some kind of new religion or something when it's just ideas and concepts that you're trying to present. The second group of people are a group of people who believe the Bible is wholly God's word, is completely God's word without modification, that God's protected this Bible throughout the centuries of, of its creation. And these people believe, or say they believe, absolutely everything in it. Of course... Bearing in mind the fact that there are at least 33,000 denominations of Christianity on the planet at the present time, this would indicate that everyone interprets it differently, yes. which is an issue in itself. Mm -hmm. And obviously, interpretations are very open to emotional constructs. So, so what that means is if I emotionally can't accept a certain interpretation, then I dismiss that interpretation to, and search for another. Mm -hmm. And many people do that with the Bible. But they still think that it's wholly God's word. They still believe that it's you know, everything in it is true. And I can't agree with that. And I have also seen quite a lot of damage caused by that. There are many people who have been severely damaged by that attitude that, that they've reflected in the Bible. There has been huge justifications historically for slavery, for the murder of other religious denominations and other religious people who practice different religions uh, throughout the centuries based upon different quotations from the Bible. And this is an indication that the fruitage of what complete belief in something does is it causes huge amounts of problems if what you're completely believing in is not based on love and truth. Mm -hmm. And the Bible is not completely based on love and truth. It just is not. There are many lies contained within it, even about my own life. There are definitely much, there's a lot of lies and blasphemy about God, about God's nature and God's attributes and qualities in it. There are a lot of truths too. The key is when you read it, you need to be able to determine the truth from the lines. Mm -hmm. And I feel it's well worth reading to work through this emotion inside of yourself of how to determine the truth from lies. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a great book for doing that. You know, you can work it through the truth and you can work through, oh, well, this bit here can't be true because I can feel that this is, you know, based on some kind of unloving behaviour or unloving idea or unloving concept. And so you, you can dismiss those particular ideas as, as lies. They're not, they're not true. They're not true about God. 
in many cases, or, or other, other events. And, you know, I have the advantage, of course, of having a personal life associated with the Bible in the sense that part of my personal life is recorded in the Bible, yeah. and I know that much of that was not recorded accurately. So I know that it wasn't the truth, and therefore it cannot be God's word. It was just the word of, of men. And in fact, I knew a lot of the men who wrote bits and pieces of it. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, and in fact, in, in time, in my, after my passing, I met every person who wrote every book mm-hmm. of the Bible and had discussions with every single one of them about what was true and what wasn't true and you know what part were embellishments and what parts were complete fabrications and what parts were actually true. And so I've got, had this advantage of having discussions with every one of those people, as do any person, any person who passes in the spirit world has the advantage of asking these people to come to them and say, is this true? Is that true? Is this true? Is that true? Uh, many don't, of course, because they want to hold on to their concept that the Bible is God's word. Mm-hmm. But if they do that, they learn many things. Mm-hmm. Many things were true and some things, uh, many things are, are not true. And they learn that through this process. And so... I feel, that, though, that there is a huge amount of damage that is caused by this indoctrination in the Bible. The indoctrination into any form of religion and any form of text is in itself flawed because no text ever presented on this planet can ever contain the full truth. Mm-hmm. So it is, it is flawed as a concept to, to believe that one text contains the full truth about any subject. And, and this is because God is infinite and God's truths are infinite and we're going to be constantly discovering more truth. This is what drives the interest in most of our life. The truth will be scientific as well as informational, as well as sometimes what people might classify as religious or it will affect our way of life. It will be about our personal development. There'll be lots of truths. And these particular truths... Will, will grow over time because we, we're growing. We, we learn more about love, we more and more about truth, so we change and we understand something more as a result. And if you use the Bible as a tool to do that, then it's a very valuable tool. If you use the Bible saying, no, it's the definite word of God, there is no other word of God, and all those kind of things, then straight away you've now become indoctrinated by, by it and you now are formulating a fixed pos- position which is a very unwise thing to do with your life. And once you form a fixed position, you now will not demonstrate any, any humility to learn any new truth. Now you've become an arrogant person, basically, with a fixed view of truth. And, and this is very, very damaging to your future life, very damaging to your relationship with God, very damaging to your relationship with your partner, mm-hmm. very damaging to your relationship with friends, very damaging to your relationship with peaceful and harmonious relationship with people in the world. Every time you force a position and then criticise and condemn other people for not having the same position, you are now going down the track of a very dangerous road which creates a lot of disharmony. That doesn't mean that you can state the truth that you know, right? You can state the truth you know, and the truth that has been proven to you can be stated. So, for instance, most people in the Western world know that if they flick the light switch, the, the electrical power, which they've learnt a little bit about at least, they know, know that it's dangerous under certain conditions, <laughs> but they also know that it's very helpful under other conditions and it turns on a light bulb and they can see at night if they wanted to. So, you know, there's a truth there. They can accept that particular truth. Now, 200 years ago, nobody believed that. Mm-hmm. Not a single person believed that, you know. And three or 400 years ago, wasn't even conceived 
for most people that it was possible. Mm -hmm. So, you know, truth is obviously something that, that develops over time and the same applies to truth about God. In fact, the truth about God that applies to the most because God is infinite. God is more infinite than anything God has created. So therefore, God is going to be far more difficult to know right now and then say, I know God completely when, when time will show other truths about God all the time. It's always going to be a process of development. So logically, it makes no sense even to believe that the Bible is God's word mm. and that the Bible is wholly the only word of God. And any person who does that, I feel in the future, will find themselves quite disappointed because, because in the future they'll realise what has actually happened to the Bible. And when I say their future, it might be after they've passed into the spirit world. There's also been a lot of spirit influence in the creation of the Bible, people's ideas being transmitted from the spirit world onto earth. And so these particular you know, things that are contained in the Bible were definitely not God's word, but rather the word of spirits in the spirit world who had transmitted this word to others who were so-called inspired of God. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what a person who's Christian might call them, but I would call them inspired. <laughs> not of God, just inspired in the sense that they had the ability to communicate with spirits and transmit information from them. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so just to summarise, if I can ask you some very direct questions. Sure. Do you believe the Bible is an accurate representation of God's word? Definitely not. Uh, do you believe there's any benefit in the Bible? Yes, I do. Uh, do you uh, have have you benefited personally from the Bible? Immensely, hmm. immensely. Yeah. Particularly in the first century, I would never have discovered God's love without it. And how can a person use discernment then when they read the Bible? In the manner that I've previously described in this answer, and that is to look at love and truth as the as the measuring sticks. And any time something that's mentioned that's out of harmony with love or that feels out of harmony with love to the person, to dismiss it until such a time that it's proven some, some other way. And what about people who say that they turn to the Bible to learn love and truth? Well, well you can't learn love and truth from everything in the Bible. There are many unloving behaviours recommended in the Bible. And this applies to the treatment of women, to the treatment of people with different um, races, the treatment of people who disagree with you, going to war, and other things that are all contained within the Bible are obviously evidence of unloving behaviour. So so you can't just across the board assume that the Bible portrays loving behaviour. Mm. There are many things in the Bible that do portray correct loving behaviour, but you are going to need to have some discernment in order and wisdom in order to determine what they are. So how does one develop this discernment and wisdom? By receiving God's love. And when we receive God's love, we start to discern everything through the love that we've received. And then we start having discernment and wisdom. We start now seeing that, oh, that can't be true. And this can must be true just through measuring it by the love that we've received. So one of the things that I do recommend people to do with the Bible is to have a look at how the Bible says to receive God's love. Because the Bible does talk about being born again. It does talk about becoming at one with God. I, there are many quotations of my own where I illustrate how to become at one with God through illustrations and metaphors. And all of these things can be looked at in order to develop this personal relationship with God. And this is why it's a very powerful book. It's one of the, in fact, it is the only book that talks about at one with God and being born again. 
It's the only holy book on the planet that does that. Mm. And for that reason, it's quite unique. Mm -hmm. And that's why also I have a deep amount of respect and love for it. But I do not assume that it contains all of God's word. And that's the main difference that I have between myself and many Christians who then throw a whole heap of Bible verses at me, which are obviously out of harmony with love and therefore are out of harmony with truth. And we can, we'll talk about some of them today in the different questions that you're asking today. Great. Mm. Great. Thank you. Mm. Thanks, Beck. <laughs> Is the Bible the full and only truth that we should live by? Well, as I've said many times in my seminars, that God is an infinite being as far as I'm aware and that God's love is infinite. And I also believe as a result of that that God's truth is infinite. Now, an infinite truth cannot ever be contained in a finite book. So a book uh, like the Bible, you know, is, is around about generally around about a thousand pages or so. And it's, there is no way that such a book can contain all of the truth of God. So, and, and in fact, the Bible itself even states that because it actually suggests in the book of Revelation that there will be further revelations of truth at some point in the future. Mm. And so the Bible itself suggests that it is not the complete revelation of God. And so any person who just assumes that it's the complete revelation of God is, is already having an invalid assumption that is not based on any logic but rather based on what they hope, which is very, very different than actually having any accuracy in terms of truth or any proof or evidence. In terms of whether the Bible should be the thing we live by, well, if the Bible contained only loving and truthful things, then I would say, yes, you could live by it completely if you wanted to live by a limited book, mm -hmm. bearing in mind that it is limited because it's not infinite, and therefore it is limited um, and therefore cannot contain everything that you might want to live by in the future. However, the Bible does not contain just things about love and truth. The Bible also contains many errors, many lies, many misrepresentations of God, many blasphemous things about God, things about God that are obviously completely inaccurate and untruthful. Many things that are about my life in the first century that are completely inaccurate and untruthful. And so therefore it cannot be trusted to be lived by. Mm -hmm. There are many things in the Bible that you could live by and do well. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, you know, if you looked at the Bible's viewpoint of ethics, for example, particularly what I presented in the first century about the golden rule that I, that I mentioned many times, if you lived by that in your life, you would do very well. You know, you, nobody would, you'd never, nobody would, you'd never want somebody to murder you, so you wouldn't murder anybody. You'd never want somebody to go to war with you, so you wouldn't go to war with anybody. You'd never want somebody to rape you, so you wouldn't rape anybody. You'd never want somebody to steal from you, so you wouldn't steal from anybody, and so forth. So if you followed that one principle, which is one verse in the yes. Bible, um, then you would do very, very well, and you'd pass over into the spirit world in a very good condition if you followed it completely. Mm -hmm. The majority of people, even who profess to believe in the Bible, don't do that, though. Yes. The majority of people have no idea how to act ethically with one another and so therefore break that one principle quite frequently. It's the one principle I said fulfilled all the law and the prophets and it's the one principle most people have huge amounts of difficulty following. 
So I, my personal feelings about following the Bible is you need to be able to have discernment about what the Bible actually is saying to you and whether it is loving, a loving concept that it's presenting to you. Now, if it is a loving concept that it's presenting to you, uh, we have to then question whether our concept of love is, uh, is accurate or not. So if we feel that it's a loving concept, then it requires a lot of logical analysis to determine whether it is actually a loving concept. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you look at the Bible's concept of sacrifice, and particularly my sacrifice, you know, the Bible concept is that I sacrificed my life for the sin of the world. Now, for some people, they might, that might appeal to them. It might appeal to them for a lot of reasons. Having somebody come along and wipe out all of their own sins without them having to do anything sounds like a fairly appealing thing at times, right? However, if they analysed it from a point of view, if they had to t deal with the sins of every other person who is on the planet, it wouldn't feel very fair. <laughs> so it, it has a deep feeling of injustice associated with it if you're the person on the receiving end of having to do the sacrifice for the others. Now, if they felt about that, they would realise that it's not a very loving concept. And so, therefore, it's a concept that can be dismissed and not practised. Mm -hmm. and, and most Christians would be up in arms about me saying that, but that's the reality. The reality is my sacrifice never happened. I never sacrificed my life for their sake um, in, a, in the manner in which they believe it to be. And, and the sacrifice did not accomplish the forgiveness of their sins. Mm -hmm. The sacrifice, in fact, did not accomplish anything for them aside from proving that I was alive after I died. Mm. It did not accomplish much else. It also harmed many of my friends in the first century and myself. It harmed you in the first century, my unborn child, and many other things were harmed as a result of the so-called sacrifice, mm. which is an indication that it's an unloving concept. So, so if somebody analysed it from the perspective of love, they'd then know what to practise that is present in the Bible and what not to, what to stay away from. My suggestion is that people do that, that they learn the difference uh, and have the discernment to work out the difference between what is loving and what is not. And once they learn what is loving, practise it, mm. because it's love that dictates the rest of your future. So, uh, to clarify again, the, the, do you believe the Bible is the full and only truth that you should live by? No. So where does this concept come from, that it is the full and only truth that we should live by? Well, the Bible itself states that it is inspired of God and the only inspired word of God. And uh, men wrote this in order to have people believe what they said and not accept anything else. It's a way of controlling people to actually make this statement. And because the Bible states this, many people believe it. And as a result of them believing it, they then assume that everything that's contained within it is the inspired word of God. And they feel that anybody who doesn't follow it can be condemned. Mm -hmm. And they also believe that anybody that doesn't follow it will be condemned by God. And that's not the case at all. I've mm -hmm. seen many people pass in the spirit world in my life and uh, and you'd be surprised how many people who have never seen the Bible ever and were definitely not condemned by God because they had love in their soul. They, they practiced love. Love is what I stated in the first century was the crux of all life. And if you learn to practice love rather than just believe in a book, you'll do far better than believing in a book that also mentions a lot of unloving things. Mm. 
What subjects does the Bible cover that you feel are seriously flawed? Well, it depends on the degree of the flaw, doesn't it? I feel the Bible is seriously flawed in its discussion of God. It, it really terribly uh, portrays God. It, it portrays God almost like a megalomaniac person on earth, uh, a person who is a dictator. And God's not like this at all. So I feel that's its primary flaw. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, is if you believe in a God like that, you finish up becoming like that yourself. Mm -hmm. So that's not a good thing either. Um, whatever you believe in, you finish up often becoming. And so, you know, if you believe in a God who's a dictator and a megalomaniac who wants power and wants the worship of everybody, God's not like that. And if you believe in a God like that, then eventually you start enforcing that kind of a God's opinions. And the problem with that is that, you know, that's why there's been a lot of Christian-based wars on this planet as a result of those particular opinions. Also, what the Bible says about the human soul isn't accurate at all. Um, there are some parts of it that are accurate uh, when it comes to the human soul, but a lot of it is not accurate. There, uh, what the Bible states about, you know, what is behavior, proper behaviour between people, some of that is accurate and some of it is not. Mm -hmm. How the Bible views women, very inaccurate uh, viewpoint of women, and therefore a very inaccurate viewpoint of the soul. The equality of the sexes is something that's not well presented uh, in the Bible and in fact is dis disagreed with in the Bible and, uh, and therefore out of harmony with truth and out of harmony with God. And, yeah, there are so many issues you could list where there's major flaws. What about issues flaws. of sexuality and homosexuality, would you say? Well, these are areas where there are some flaws and then there are also some truths. Um, so the Bible does contain areas where there are some flaws and some truths. In the issue of sexuality, obviously having moral behaviour between men and women, between partners, is uh, and between men and men and women and women, is part of the truth. However, the whole concept that homosexuality is condemned by God is completely false. Mm -hmm. uh, some of my best friends in the spirit worlds are, are homosexual in nature in the sense that their soulmate is the same gender, was the same gender on earth as they were. And the Apostle John is one of those persons. So, you know, the whole concept of homosexuality is completely in error. And as people grow in love, they start to realise that it's completely in error. And a, a lot of people justify it through the natural use of a woman and natural use of a man and all these other justifications, but they're all just uh, justifications written in a book. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and as a person grows in love and grows towards God, they start realising these justifications have no basis in truth and they have no basis in love either. Mm. Um, so the Bible is severely flawed in some areas of morality and in other areas of mor morality quite true. What about issues, historical issues or issues about your life? Um, Again, it's sort of like the middle of the road there as well. There are some areas historically that are completely true uh, that it mentions that are fairly accurate and, and some of the memories of the people as they wrote things down were pretty accurate as well. There are other things that are completely false, you know, like there's things about my life in the first century that are completely false, you know. It, it portrays me as having a mother who never had sex before I was born. Not true. My mother told me she had sex before I was born and my mother and father had sex and as a result I was conceived. 
you know, so there was no virgin birth, for example. Were they married when? Uh... Yes, they were married. Yeah, um, yeah my father um, looked for a good wife, you know, and found one, and and they fell in love. My my father and mother at the beginning of their relationship were very much in love. They are now very much in love too because they happen to also be soulmates. But there were a period of time during my life in the first century where they weren't very much in love at all. And, uh, and in fact, uh, they would admit that, you know, that they weren't very much in love at all. Um, and that was because of generally the treatment that they had for each other, and particularly my father with my mother at times, mm. which was the common way that men in the first century treated their women, mm-hmm. uh, which was also flawed. Mm. Um, there are so many things about my life that we can mention. And, and perhaps one thing we need to do is just list the different things eventually as a question and answer series and say, no, yes, no, yes, you know, and, yeah. and just answer the questions directly as to what was true and what was not true. What about just speaking and in generalities um, about what is inaccurate in the Bible? What about issues of heaven and hell and what happens when we die? Well... It, the, the Bible contains contradictions about heaven and hell and what happens when you die. For example, uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, there are scriptures in the Bible that say that when you die, you're dead and nothing, you're, you're, you're completely non-existent. Mm-hmm. Um, this is an obvious error, but, but it's contained within the Bible. Most people are not, who even read their Bible are not aware that it even says it mm-hmm. in the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, for example. And uh, as a result of that, most people, you know, just ignore those passages because they've never read them. Mm. Um, Then the Bible also states, particularly with my teachings, that some of which are recorded in the Bible relatively accurately, um, that that there is an afterlife, you know, where people can talk to each other and see each other. And while many people then interpret that as a metaphor, uh, I um, also said quite clearly that it wasn't just a metaphor, that this was a possibility mm-hmm. in the spirit world that you could t- speak with other people. Mm-hmm. And other people, uh, you could speak with other people on earth. And I demonstrated that through my day-to-day life by talking to people who were spirit-influenced. And I spoke to the spirits through the people. Yeah. So, you know, there are many truths that are contained there if you look at it. But unfortunately, most people have a very fixed concept when they look at those particular things. It's almost like they're told a heap of things about the Bible before they read it. And then they're told what they can believe from the Bible when they read it. And they're told how to interpret it when they read it. If you had not been told any of those things and you read the Bible from a completely open mind and a completely open heart, you would be shocked at what you have accepted as real and what is not actually real. Mm-hmm when you read the Bible. And I feel most people would be absolutely shocked and will be shocked in the future about what they actually accepted as real when logic and and also love would dictate such a thing was not possible. Mm. Mm. Okay. Thank you. What do you say are the Bible's most serious flaws? The most serious flaws in the Bible... Uh, the, the most serious, single most serious flaw in the Bible is how the Bible portrays God. That is the single most serious flaw in the Bible. Um, it portrays God as sometimes loving, sometimes not, sometimes loving, sometimes punishing, sometimes loving, sometimes angry, sometimes wrathful, sometimes wise, sometimes not, sometimes a megalomaniac, sometimes not sometimes narcissistic, sometimes not, 
and so forth. And, you know, this is a very damaging view of God. And, in fact, it is man's concept of God many times. You know, people don't understand God's laws very well and they don't understand God's principles very well. And as a result of that, they feel that they have a tendency to feel that God is arbitrary in dealing in in his dealings with people. That's not the case at all. Uh, but but that's what people believe. And as a result of that, they have a very flawed view or concept of God. And all of the Bible writers, even the writers who were present, who, who associated with me in the first century, all had a flawed concept of God mm. because they at times believed God was punishing, at times they believed God wasn't, at times they believed God, you know, demanded worship or was narcissistic in a sense that needed everybody to worship him. And sometimes they didn't believe that. So, you know, they had so many mixed up concepts of God. And one of the things I tried to do through my first century life was to correct the mixed up concepts of God. But unfortunately, the mixed up concepts of God are mixed into the emotional condition of a person's viewpoint of their parents. Mm-hmm. And so if the person is unwilling to work their way through how they see their own parents, it's going to be very difficult for them to work their way through getting a, an accurate and truthful concept of God. Okay, so you say that the most serious flaw in the Bible is uh, the depiction of God. Yep. Are there any other serious flaws you can see in the Bible? I think the second most serious flaw in the Bible relates to my life and your life in the first century. I, I feel that's the second most serious flaw in the Bible because that's the thing that all of the Christians have a tendency to focus upon and then misinterpret. And as a result of that, uh, any flaws that are contained within it uh, are grossly exaggerated and misinterpreted and, and turned into things that uh, are not true. So I feel the second most serious flaw is that it does not contain an accurate depiction or record of our life in the first century um, and therefore does not contain an accurate depiction of what I said, nor does it contain an accurate depiction of what I did nor does it contain an accurate depiction of my life, which included you mm-hmm. in my life, and it never contained an accurate depiction of why I died and how, you know, why all of that actually occurred. And there are many other things, right from my birth to my death, that, that are not accurate within the Bible. As a result of that, um, many people then base their faith in my sayings upon what the Bible says, and unfortunately, also become misled through many of those so-called things that I've sh- that I've meant to have said that I never said, mm-hmm. and also misread most of the things that I did say, and misapply most of the things I did say, and I feel that's probably the second most serious flaw that the Bible contains. There are of course many others. Um, you know how the Bible treats women. I feel is a very serious flaw. Um, women are half of our population. You know. For many of us, they are our other half, the other half of our soul, and yet we're treating them in a manner in the Bible, in fact, recommends treating them in a manner that is not equal. Mm. And uh, and there's all sorts of theoretical reasons why Christians come up with that, you know, concept, you know, they and why they accept that concept. You know, they try to say that God's trying to illustrate the relationship of God and to man is the same illustration, illustration of how a man should treat his woman and things like that. Or yourself and, and the church. Yourself, yeah, my relationship with the so-called Christian church is what a man should, how a man should treat his wife and so forth. Very flawed concepts 
uh, based around interpretation again, based around what they would like to read into it in order to justify how women are being treated. Ladies, if you're a Christian, you're not getting treated the way I treated women in the first century. Simple as that. Mm. Um, I treated, as you know, I treated you in the first century in a manner that almost every man around us disagreed with. Mm -hmm. And as a result, every man who wrote anything in the Bible disagreed with it as well. Mm. And they often did not, they did not even record you in it as a result. Now, some of the men didn't record you because they tried to protect you. But others didn't record you, but ones like Peter and so forth didn't record you because they didn't like you. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, all of this error then gets put into a book that people then base their entire lives upon, and that's very dangerous. Mm. Thank you. What subjects are covered in the Bible that you believe are actually beneficial to mankind? Well, a lot of those subjects are subjects that I taught in the first century. So if we look at the subject of being born again, having a relationship with God, that is a primary subject where I feel people need to understand far more about it. You know, there's many of my quotations and many of my illustrations in the Bible were surrounding this particular subject. And most people who interpret those particular metaphorical illustrations do not understand the metaphor, unfortunately. Um, so I feel that is the primary area, the, the, the area surrounding having a relationship with God and, uh, and desiring God's love and, and entering into this beautiful relationship uh, where you give and receive with God. And that is, to me, the primary important thing that's contained within the Bible. It, it, it's the only book, the only holy book that contains such a thing. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, um, it is a special book in, in, and unique in that regard. Um, there are many other books written about ethical behaviour, but, but the Bible contains this unique thing about relationship with God. I also feel the Bible's portrayal of ethical behaviour, based on my words in the first century, is also very, uh, very important. This is the whole concept that, you know, do unto others what you would like them or what you would have them do to you. Very important principle of love. But in that, you're clarifying it's what you taught. So not everything that the Bible says about ethics, it's really what you taught about ethics. Yes, although there are other things the Bible says about ethics that are very beautiful as well. Like in the book of Proverbs, for example, in Ecclesiastes, the Old Testament of the Bible, there are many ethical statements that are made that if a person practices them, they do well in developing their love as a result of practicing those particular ethical things. So I believe there are, there are a lot of ethical statements in the Bible. The problem is there is also a lot of unethical ones yeah. and the person needs discernment to be able to choose or, or, or work out the difference between the two. Mm-hmm. If a person just accepts the Bible completely as God's word, then they're not going to do that. And then they're also going to be very confused about how they engage ethics and how they engage love. They become confused. They think some things are loving that are not. And then, you know, and that are obviously not if they look at them by themselves without the Bible's influence. And then there's other things that they believe are, are not loving that actually are, you know, and unfortunately, you know, that causes a distortion for many people who believe in the Bible. Mm. 
So that you know, there are two there are two areas I feel, but the most important of those area, the most important area is this area of relationship with God, uh, as I described it in the first century. The importance of prayer, as I described it in the first century, not as the Lord's prayer, because that's not what I uh, actually described. That was said after I, I lived on Earth, and mm-hmm. um, there are certain things contained within it that I did say, but the Lord's the so-called Lord's prayer were things that were mentioned after I died by some of the other people, some of, you know, even some of my disciples uh, come up with that kind of a prayer. That wasn't the prayer that I recommended to my disciples at the time. Um, but, but you know, there, there were, the importance of prayer was a very important factor because prayer is the opening of the soul, the desire of the soul to receive love. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm talking now about the love from God. So I feel prayer is a very important part of the Bible, but there's a there's a poor portrayal in the Bible of what prayer actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are many other things about the, what the Bible contains too that that I feel are important to understand. There are some issues of morality that are important to understand. Um, of course, some of them get severely distorted and then turned into laws, and then get punished. Mm-hmm. You get punished if you don't practice them, and that that is not in harmony with love at all. God very rarely, if ever, punishes a person for practicing an unloving behavior, but the person themselves does have the law of God constantly attempting to correct them. In other words, God's laws constantly demonstrate to the person through the person's condition that what they're engaging in is unloving. But there is the presumption as well that certain things that man has made are what God's opinions are. For example, marriage is one of those. You know, man's opinion is that to be moral, you have to be married. And that's not God's opinion. God uh, created a marriage between the two halves of the soul. And so you might marry in paper another person who's not your soul mate. But at the end of the day, uh, that's not the person you're going to end up with in the long term. Mm -hmm. And uh, while you may have a moral relationship with that person in the sense that, you know, they're the only person you engage with sexually, And in the end, they're not the only person you're going to engage with sexually because if they're not your soulmate, you're going to finish up leaving them at some point in the future, either on earth or in the spirit world. Mm -hmm. And you will eventually find your soulmate at some point if you truly engage God's truth. So, you know, there are many things in the Bible that are quoted as essential. um, but, But obviously, if you think about it from God's perspective, God didn't have a piece of paper when he put the first human couple together and, you know, Love is the binding force that should bind people together. So I suppose from what you're saying, the question is what what do you find beneficial in the Bible? And you've mentioned this teaching of the possibility of becoming born again. At one with your, God, yeah. At one with God through your relationship with God. The possibility of God's love transforming your soul into a new creature. I referred to this constantly in the first century. My illustrations in the Bible still contain some references to it, if a person knows how to interpret them, of course. Um, so, you know, I think that's a very important part. Mm. So, so you mentioned that, you mentioned prayer, you mentioned ethics and you mentioned morality. Yep. But honestly, listening to you, Every single one of them seems, you're saying there's aspects of it, but it's flawed. There's yes. aspects of it, but it's flawed. There's aspects of it, but it's not the complete truth. And of so- course, you know, when I talk about, for instance, relationship with God, if you believe you're having a relationship with a wrathful, punishing God who's going to destroy the wicked, then you're flawed because mm. there is no such God. No, that, that God doesn't exist except in 
man's minds. You know, it doesn't exist anywhere else and certainly is not the true God that I have met and have a relationship with. It does not have any of those desires. So, so you know, if you take everything the Bible says about God, you're not going to have a very good relationship with God. Mm. If you take everything the Bible says about me, you're not going to have a very good relationship with me. (laughs) If you take everything the Bible says about people generally, you're not going to have a very good relationship with people generally. If you take everything that the Bible says about women, you're not going to have a good relationship with a woman. Yeah. You know, and these, these are the flaws that are within the Bible. I see. Yeah. And so it, it is difficult. I just honestly, I, I respect that there's a benefit and I quite enjoy reading the Bible personally at different times but it does seem very um a difficult situation for someone who's put all of their belief system based in a book oh i agree for somebody who's put all of their belief system based on the bible as the book of of god then it's certainly a difficult Mm -hmm. situation i agree if if somebody though treats it more openly any book that you read and if I say this to everyone, every any book that you read, if you read it with an open heart and you read it from the position of wanting to become more loving and wanting to become more truthful and wanting to become more developed inside of your soul, then you'll find that there's certain things in the book you can dismiss and there's certain things in the book that are interesting. Mm. The same applies to the Bible. Now, I feel the same applies to the Bible to the most in the sense that The Bible contains things about becoming at one with God. Not many other books on the planet contain that. There are a few other books now that do. You know, for instance, the Paget Messages are one of those things that have been turned into a book that do contain the truth about becoming at one with God now. But but not many people know about these books. Uh, There's not many books aside from that, not common books that people could learn about becoming at one with God. So the Bible is a very important book to read on that basis. You know, there's not very many books that uh, discuss ethics in a true open manner, although that's improving. You know, there's more and more people interested in ethical behaviour, so there's more books being written as a result. Mm -hmm. Um, The same applies, to, I feel, to women. There's many books on the planet that you'd be better off reading about the equal treatment of men and women than the Bible, because the Bible does not portray that subject very well at all. So, you know, um, like any book, it requires analysis through a condition of love. And you ba- But basically you're saying there is a higher benefit because it has this teaching about... The becoming becoming at one with God. Yeah. It's the only book up until, you know, 100 years ago, it was the only book that mm. contained the principle of becoming at one with God. Uh, at one with God, and there, so therefore is a very important book for somebody to put in their reading list. Yeah. But uh, that being said, there are many false things in, contained within the book as well. Mm. Thank you. The, what many of the spirits who have, who have believed in the Bible on the earth want to have happen is they want the Bible to either be God's word or not, so they can either throw it away or believe the whole thing. Yeah. And... You know, what that does is remove the personal responsibility to be able to make a choice and decision based upon love. So this desire to either have a book that either is definitely true and I should read it or definitely not true and I should never touch it, um, and I can't say both of those things about the Bible. It's, I feel quite strongly it's definitely not true. However, there's a lot of things in it you should read. <laughs> and, uh, and I feel quite strongly about that. And 
And so I can't say don't read it at all. And I can't say don't believe everything. I can't say do believe everything in it. And many of the spirits who have passed over, who have been Christian while they're on earth, want either one or the other answer. And you can't give one or the other answer because there are things contained within it that are beautiful and there are things contained within it that are very harsh and unloving. And and you need to have discernment, personal discernment, to tell the difference. Mm -hmm. And the personal discernment comes from your relationship with God, not your relationship with the Bible. Right? It comes from your desire for truth, not from your relationship with the Bible. You know, in the Bible said, the truth will set you free. And I did actually say that. It's your relationship with truth that sets you free, not the relationship with the Bible that sets you free. It's your relationship with love that sets you free, not the relationship with the Bible that sets you free. So, so if you're truly going to analyse the Bible, you need to analyse it like you analyse any other book. You need to forget about analysing it as if it's totally God's word and you need to see it as the word of men. However, it contains many of the highest possible truths you could ever imagine. It does. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, it's very beneficial to read. I feel that my feelings match yours on that subject, mm. but it's interesting being an interviewer whenever we discuss religious matters, uh, Christian religious matters, I feel I become a medium, a channel. Yeah. A channel. Like suddenly there's all, there's all these questions that come to me from Christian uh, spirits. That, and there's a lot of there's a lot of impression or pressure on me to to ask the questions. To continue a line of questioning with you, which is and that's not okay. What's on my, uh, and that's okay. Yeah. yeah, like I'm happy to continue a line of questioning um, you know, about some of their questions, but uh, I, I feel a lot of the times we need to understand that some of the questions are driven from this emotional dissatisfaction with the answer that's already given. Yes. So, you know, many, many Christian spirits who now know the Bible does not contain all of the truths of God now want to throw the whole Bible out, and I can't recommend that they do that because mm -hmm. uh, there are many things in the Bible that if they understood them completely would help their lives immensely. So I can't recommend that somebody does that. Um, that's what I'm saying. I have a much more middle-of-the-road acceptance of all books on their planet than the majority of people do because I realise there are so many things that um, can be said and done, yeah. you know, about the, different, the, about the different books that are beneficial to human life and beneficial to understanding your relationship with God and your relationship with others. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and I feel like a lot of people panic about... Oh, how do I do it right? If I haven't been doing it right, how do I do it right? And it's and if they skipping. do that, all it is is they are panicked about getting things right. Yeah. And that is an emotion. Right? What that, what's that emotion about? That emotion is actually about worrying that if they get something wrong, they're going to be punished. Mm. Now, where did that come from? Well, it's in the Bible. That, that, you know, there is this principle in the Bible, you do something wrong. And there's some people in the Bible that mistakenly did things wrong and they were punished. Mm. And, the, and a person reading that goes, whoa. I'm now quite afraid of doing something wrong. Now, I'm saying to people, you don't need to be afraid of doing anything wrong. God doesn't punish like that. Yeah. God looks at everything in terms of the intention, right? So, so, you know, even concepts like fear of a punishing God in, impact upon a person's ability to go, I don't have to worry about that 
And why have they got a fear of punishing God? Because they had a fear of a punishing parent. Yeah. That's one of the primary reasons why they accept a punishing God as a God that exists, which does not exist, but they accept it exists because they had a punishing parent who told them, I'm giving you a Belton right now, but I love you. Yeah. In other words, I'm punishing you right now. I'm causing violence towards you right now, but I love you. And this is an expression of my love. That's a distortion of love. And distortions of love in our childhood cause us to accept distortions of love in a God that we worship. Yeah. And we need to understand the correlation between those two things. I feel if I believe in a, in a, you know, that love allows punishment, then I will believe in a God that allows punishment. Mm -hmm. If I do not accept that love allows punishment under any circumstances, love allows correction, but not punishment. Right? There's a big difference between correction and punishment. Love allows, pun if I believe love allows punishment and particularly violent punishment, then I'm out of harmony mm. myself with one of the principles of love. But I will accept a God who punishes. I will accept an angry, wrathful God who punishes. Such a God does not exist. I've never met such a God. And I don't have a relationship with any God like that. And, uh, and, but I feel that many people on earth do. Mm. They have created a God of their own imagination who really mirrors angry men on earth yeah and it's not higher than the average person on earth mm. 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 what subjects in the bible do you believe contain inaccuracies well that, that's a very good question because it's like um almost every subject in the bible contains some kind of inaccuracy and uh, i suppose it depends on how important you find the inaccuracy as to how important it is to you but I feel the Bible has, uh, as I've mentioned before, the Bible has a lot of flaws, um, but the Bible also has a lot of truths. But there are inaccuracies in almost every subject. So you can't sort of choose a subject and go, oh, the Bible is right on this particular subject right across the board mm. because it is not correct on any subject right across the board. It either contains a, a, a lack of information on every subject or it contains information that is false on the subject, or it contains information that has been embellished or manipulated through the period passage of time on a mm -hmm. particular subject. And you could say that about almost every subject it contains. So I suppose the best way we can, you know, the best thing we could say about the Bible is that we need to take a lot of care in our reading of the Bible I feel it is an essential book to read myself. I feel it's an essential book to read. Perhaps not the whole of the book of the Bible, but certainly the New Testament of the Bible is essential to read. And if, if I was recommending to people what to read, I'd also recommend reading the Psalms, the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and many of the prophets as well um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, and they can be very fascinating and interesting books to read if you understand how to read them. Mm -hmm. um, I would not necessarily recommend that everybody reads, you know, the first five books of the Bible in terms of, you know, particularly Leviticus, Numbers and, and perhaps Deuteronomy, which were part of the Pentateuch in, in, the, in our first century life, because they just contain many laws that uh, are not really valid for modern living. And they're also not valid when you consider them from the perspective of love. There are some that are and some that aren't. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, again, the Bible, I feel 
is a very important book to read, but not. Uh, but it's very important that you do not believe it is the entire word of God. Mm. 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 Okay. Mm. There are many verses about the character of Jesus in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Do you have any general comments about how the Bible portrays your character? <laughs> yes, certainly. And the Bible portrays my character very inconsistently, I feel, on a lot of different subjects. You know, I, it portrays my character in terms of inconsistent in the way that I ethically dealt with people, for example. It portrays my character uh, very uh, inconsistently when it comes to my dealings with women. It basically tells people that I was celibate when I was married, for example. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it, it's basically written you out of my life mm-hmm. in the first century. And, uh, and as a result of that, it's very inaccurate when it comes to my day-to-day living life and my relationship with you and our relationship to truth and so forth. It uh, contains a lot of inconsistencies about my feelings about power and control uh, and judgment, in fact. You know, it strongly recommends that I... I strongly recommend to others that they do not judge while at the same time accept judgment from God, accept that I'm the judge from God as a as a role, mm-hmm. and this is very inconsistent. It also contains a lot of uh, misinformation about power um, and my desire for power, uh, which I have none. And the Bible suggests that uh, in some places that that I had no desire for power whatsoever, and in other places that I have a large desire for power. And perhaps we can illustrate that in other questions. Mm-hmm. So it's very inconsistent in the way in which it portrays me at times. Then there's other areas that are quite consistent in the way that it portrays myself and my life. You know, it portrays me of having a deep desire for God and a deep relationship with God that, that everyone around me recognised. And that's true. That's how it was. Um, it portrays me as having a care for other people, although not consistently portraying me that. So, uh, portraying that, you know, sometimes it seems to indicate that I didn't care. Mm-hmm. But uh, so, again, it's uh, inconsistent on some issues and consistent on other matters. And the best thing I can do is at some point in the future, you know, we can go through a lot of our personal life in comparison with the Bible and just list what is true and what isn't true. And uh, But it, in some ways, it would be better for us to just say what is true and then a yeah. person can make their own comparison. Yeah, mm. sure. So you're saying that it's in terms of its portrayal of your character, it's inaccurate in terms of portraying you as sometimes wanting power, sometimes not. Um, Being a judge, which I don't want. Yeah. And never have. So, and being celibate. Being celibate, yes. Uh, and then on the other hand, it's, it's being more... A, being a son of a, of a virgin. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's many things. Yeah. Which, are, which is false. Yeah. Uh, and then in terms of your character, it's more accurate uh, in your high regard and desire for a relationship with God. Definitely. And what about the focus of your life or the focus of your um, character? Yeah, I, I didn't care very much for material possessions and I still don't. I focus primarily on sharing truth with others. That's my focus. That comes out in the Bible quite strongly. Yeah. And so there are other parts of my character. I was quite forceful in dealing with untruth, which is very much the case now. So, you know, there are other parts of my character that it does correctly portray. Sure. Um, so, 
you know, unfortunately, again, there's consistency in certain areas and inconsistency in other areas. And this is the trouble with uh, such a text that has had modification over thousands of years, mm. is that eventually it becomes inconsistent and therefore cannot be assumed to be the correct, the correct truth. Unfortunately, too, religion has distorted what the Bible says quite, quite, quite a lot, actually. So many religious people are shocked when they read their own Bible because their own religion has practices that are not contained within the Bible and has different uh, principles that are not contained within the Bible. For, for example, the Catholic Church, the founding, if you like, of many of the other churches uh, before the Reformation, contain this principle that men should be uh, men who are priests should be celibate and uh, and should not be married but the bible says the opposite to that in fact and if you read the book of timothy for example it recommends that people who are priests should be married so you know the bible recommends exactly the opposite of what some of the religious practices of our day currently are yeah. and so you can see that many of these practices have been introduced by men's own concept and have had no reference whatsoever to the Bible, in fact. So, and I find that quite amusing at times that many people who email us saying you should be doing this and should be doing that, you know, we could, if I, if I wanted to, just email them straight back and go, well, you should be doing this and you should be doing that because that's what your Bible says and you're not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and the reality is I don't believe in having that kind of a conversation with people. I feel that people are, if people are open and honest and sincerely asking, then I'd be happy to show them even the inconsistencies in their own Bible and also the inconsistencies in their own religion comparison with the Bible. Mm -hmm. For example, many times people who have been religious have gone to war. And in fact, many times the, the priests and ministers of such religions have got up on the pulpit and encouraged their people to go to war. Now, that is completely the opposite of what I would do yeah. and completely the opposite of what Jesus in the first century, even if you don't believe I'm Jesus, the Jesus in the first century would have done. And anybody who's realistic would know that and so therefore would never be able to, would never be able to agree with their church doing that. Yeah. And so I see many times churches being very hypocritical in their statements to me because they themselves do not practice the words that are contained in the book that they believe is God's word. Mm. Mm. Okay. I feel there are very few religions on earth that are not hypocritical with regard to how they treat the Bible. Very few religions. And, you know, most of them are hypocritical in some manner in the way in which they treat the Bible and the way in which they follow it. And particularly on the issue of war, particularly on the issue of you know, harming other people, they are they are very choosy when it comes to what they follow and what they don't follow. Mm. And you look at the, for example, the American religious right, I think it is, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, the Christian religious right in America, they are, they are nationalistic and violently nationalistic. They're prepared to go to war with pretty much anyone who disagrees mm. with them. And that is in direct contradiction to what the Bible and particularly my life demonstrated mm. in the first century. So, so this is an area where people are being very, very hypocritical mm. when it comes to their record and, and looking at the Bible. Mm. Mm.